Happy New Year. Welcome to the first episode of Zero Ambitions of 2023. This episode, we'd arrange to have a post-Christmas catch-up to talk about a few things to do with, well, podcast consultancy, all that stuff. So, Alex suggested we kill two birds with one stone and record a podcast where we talked about the genesis of Passive House Plus magazine and its progenitor, Construct Island, which seemed like a good idea. So, that's what this episode's about. First off, we had a post-Christmas catch-up to find out, you know, how our Christmases have been, Jeff's family's developing taste for seagull, all that chatter. If you want to skip it entirely, feel free to jump forward. I think it's about 12 minutes before the conversation proper starts. But, I mean, if you like these things, Jeff did manage to turn the conversation around to SAP calculations within about five minutes, so it might tickle your fancy. Anyway, I'll let you just get on with the podcast. All the usual things. Um, If you could review the podcast, it'd be massively appreciated. It'll help it reach more people. Similarly, if you can share it, that would be massively appreciated too. Presumably, if you like it, you probably know people who, other people, who will enjoy it too. Apart from that, just all the usual things. Join ACAN, join the ACB, subscribe to Passive House Plus magazine, advertise if you can, and give us a shout if you need any help with the other things. All right, well, like I said, Happy New Year. Enjoy. Okay, so a bit of planning. So the presumption is, is that I'm going to be asking you questions. And as you said, Dan, you'll probably just, we'll go in all, all different directions. But the idea is, is that I've got a little thing. This is uh, the first of the uh, first episode of 2023, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So for me, I think what would be really interesting is to actually talk about basically how Construct Island and Passive House Plus uh, have witnessed changes in the industry over the years. To me, that's really the sort of the, the interesting part. Um, so I thought I'd do... A quick intro to to this. Shall we start? Yeah, yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Z, the first. Okay, I'll start that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, smell <Yeah>. come. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hello, and welcome to the first Zero Ambitions podcast episode of 2023. Today, we'll be talking to our very own Jeff Colley and Dan Hyde about Construct Island, the predecessor to the Passive House Plus magazine and discuss changes in the industry the magazine has witnessed over the years. Jeff, Dan, welcome to your own podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. How kind of you to have us on. I know. <laughs> I know. It was really, really tough to get you on as well. So thank you for clearing out your diaries for this uh, first uh, episode of the year. Well, it was touch and go. I mean, we are having ourselves on in lieu of being able to get any other guests on at <laughs> nine o'clock on Friday, the 30th of December. <laughs> well, we were wondering, Dan, if you'd overslept, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, no, I've been... So I'm back up with my folks for Christmas and because my mum... My mum's disabled uh, and so she goes to bed really early. So now we're having to rearrange meals so she eats in the afternoon. So we have a meal together in the afternoon, which has meant that I've had to... I got up at eight to start cooking to make her pork belly ragu very nice to give it enough time to cook yeah so we can have it at like three o'clock in the afternoon so that's why i was absolutely silent on the chat this morning because i was busy chopping veg and getting it into the pressure cooker i, I was just knackered myself um, oh man yeah how's it been good yeah I've, I've i've really enjoyed my christmas we've been really really quiet this year uh my wife uh lauren her um her mom who lives over here now uh, lauren's australian has gone home to australia for the first time in you know, in, in a good few years for, for Christmas. 
which is from a climate perspective, you know, I remember, I remember um, years ago speaking to Eamon Ryan, the uh, the Irish Green Party leader, about you know the upcoming trip to Australia because I've been a couple of times uh, and with 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 a real kind of eco guilt, I suppose. And he, he said, "Don't worry, Jeff, it's it's love miles." So so uh, I'm not sure the climate appreciates that distinction, but there you go. So we just what with her being away in Australia, uh, we've we've had a kind of a quieter one. Seen just you know, my family and just yeah, just. Nice time with the kids. The kids are still young enough that that they get a lot of uh, mileage out of it. You know. How did the dinner go down this year? The seagull. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it. No, it was good. It, it, it was good. And um, anyone who listened, I think, to last week's episode, my my kids didn't like turkey, so we we convinced them that uh, my wife uh, catches a seagull and gets a butcher to 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 sort it out, and they love it. <laughs> <laughs> tastes a lot like tastes a lot like turkey, but they love it. Um, so that, that it went down well. It wasn't that dry. How big are these seagulls? Because I mean, turkeys aren't quite big. <laughs> yeah. There's some fierce big. We live by uh, near Dunleary, uh on the southeast coast of Dublin, um, and there's some fierce big seagulls. I don't know their diet. Pretty, what's the word for it? Uh, they're not very selective, you know. Um, so uh, I I wouldn't like to think what 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 it would what, what it would taste like what what goes into those animals you know but apparently as much as pigeon is a thing apparently seagull isn't apparently tastes disgusting I I, I wouldn't endorse it well, sounds like you had a lovely piece of meat for for Christmas then <laughs> yeah absolutely how about what how about Perry, you Alex you're in you're in France what's the what's the French traditional kind of um Christmas or did you do a whole kind of French traditional Christmas yeah, I mean, cl- close enough. We um, we usually have a meal on the uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, and there you have so you've got black pudding, obviously that you know of, but there's also white pudding, and so you have white pudding uh, slices uh, fried in the in a in a pan, and you have also some roasted apples with it. So that was the the main thing. We had smoked salmon. We had snails. Obviously, you have to have snails in France, uh, which are very nice, but I think you have to grow up with them to really. Uh, I'm not keen on them. Here. Um, and then the next day we had a, a slow cooked uh, lamb, seven hours cooked in the oven, which was absolutely delicious. So yeah, on the food on the food front, it was good. The best part though was that when we went when we left uh, for France, it was minus two in London, and here it's been about fourteen, fifteen degrees consistently. I've been around oh, in a t-shirt, God. so I'm very, very pleased with that. Yeah, uh, it, there was I read some sort of um, something on on social media from a meteorologist predicting temperatures of of 20 degrees or so in on continental europe and in continental europe you're not a million miles away from that uh the less said about that the better and how about you dad up north grim up north oh man yeah i mean it was grim all the way up like we traveled up stopped off in london overnight with cassie's mum, and uh yeah drove up and it rained consistently all the way from chiselhurst all the way up the m25 all the way around, not the M6, uh, all the way here. It's scarcely stopped since. No, it's been pleasant. I had a family do yesterday. I've never spent as much money on pies in my life. Like it's sort of. That's what you do for Christmas dinner, right? <laughs> oh man, well I might, given the choice. Yeah, we just gave up on catering, as it were, uh, and just I called into the pie shop. In fact, no, I called ahead because I'd have cleaned them out if I'd have just turned up and. Uh, yeah, Jesus. But yeah, it was nice. And so we're just hanging out today, trying to find opportunities to go for walks rather than just languish on the sofa, watching garbage on telly, um, <laughs> working through the box of Lindor. Although it's mad. You know, like Lindor, that chocolate, it tastes cold. Like you put it in your mouth and the fat content, like the the 
the chocolate within the the chocolate encasing. It tastes cold, like the the fat in a a, a pork scratching. Oh man, not in my mum and dad's house. It's so hot here. It's like tropical temperatures. Like I fear for their energy bill. It's going to be absolutely terrifying, yeah, and it's quite think, well yeah. insulated. And do they know? I mean, do they keep tabs on their? Uh, will this be their first big energy bill since the? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's one of those concerns that's lingering in the back of one's mind. But my mum had a stroke, so she really feels the cold now. So my dad ain't gonna have it down at all. It's just boiling. This is the thing, you know, and it's like um, it was one of the things that really annoys me with um, with, with building design uh, is that how do I stop getting straight into anoraki stuff about temperatures? Uh, oh no, no, temperatures and buildings. It, it's a magnificent segue, Jeff. Yeah, well, it's it's something that the industry tends to be very oblivious to. So, like the the, the national methodology that's used in 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 the UK for for calculating the energy performance of buildings, which is called SAP or the Standard Assessment Procedure, and the Irish equivalent, which is called Deep Dwelling Energy Assessment Procedure, which is kind of a, a, a an offshoot of SAP. Basically, they make very kind of parsimonious thermal comfort assumptions. Um, yeah. SAP less so than 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 deep. Uh, SAP assumes basically twenty one degrees in the living area, uh, like so the living room and any rooms that are not uh, and, and kitchen and any rooms that are not disconnected to them, an open plan space. Um, but and then the rest to eighteen degrees. But um, in a typical dwelling, you might have fifteen, maybe twenty percent of the of the space at, at assumed to be twenty one degrees in your energy forms calculations. Um, but only for in in the UK, it's sixteen hours per day. At weekends at those temperatures um, and nine hours per day uh, from Monday to Friday. The rest of the time it's assumed to be unheated. In Ireland with deep, it's eight hours per day, seven days a week. So and, and consequently, if you had two houses on either side of the border in Ireland, all of the things being equal in the software, there'd be like a 25% uplift in the energy, the assumed energy consumption of the, 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 the building north of the border, just because of the assumed higher thermal comfort requirement. It's as if it's as if they assumed that um, British people are much more prone than Irish people. That Irish people um, are active, you know, and don't spend as much time at home, whereas uh, um, they spend a lot more time indoors. But the point is that there are all these other uh, EN standards, and they take account critically of the the vulnerability, effectively, or the occupancy class of the building. So, so if you've got high risk people, you know, vulnerable people, and that would inc- include elderly people, people with disabilities and young children there's there's a much narrower band that people should be designing to uh but they set very tight parameters uh that you're meant to keep the building within for the vast majority of the time 24 7 um, in yeah. order for, for 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 them to be meeting those classes and i think it's something that we should be encouraging clients and designers to be thinking about if you've got a nursing home or sheltered housing for, for instance in particular where you have very vulnerable people so this, this is where user research is mad important. Yeah. Thinking about what the user of the building or the space or whatever is going to do, not what you want them to do. And that's the difference between this this economic approach to housing specification and building regulations rather than a, a use case-based one, which, I mean, if you go back to Adrian Lehman and Bill Bordas when they were talking about building specification design, we should be designing for accessibility not in terms of the immediate user of a building but for the ongoing users of the building this has been a recurring theme of the 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 podcast where we know buildings are going to be used for longer 
or they should be used for longer than the the, the initial specification. That means they're going to get reused in different ways. Like the amount of us who live in converted properties or have lived in converted properties, like it's it's mad. They're not as a as a as a, a building system. Like you break it up into different bits. You change how each bit functions and you change how the whole ecosystem functions. Yeah. And thinking of the different needs of the different occupants, there's no one size fits all. So, I mean, even in terms of what you're describing there, you're looking at a, a, a nursing home. Like, where does, is that a new build nursing home or is it one that's a, a retrofitted nursing home? And it yeah. all comes back to notions of accessibility. Again, not just energy regs, where <laughs> accessibility isn't considered in like a macro sense or a micro sense. But I, but I suppose what I would say to this is that, you know, we're we're forever looking for kind of um, simple answers to complex questions. And one of the reasons why through the magazine we were, we were ultimately drawn to the passive standard is that, that, you know, it's you have a building, you're designing a building in such a way that it's capable of of delivering comfort all the time to the most to the most kind of exacting standards um now if somebody wants to run the building colder you can open windows for god's sake you know the, the point is that you've got a building that's capable of delivering for the most vulnerable people um i think you're pe- uh, preaching to choir here and at this point i interrupted our meandering so alex could get us back on track so getting back on track with alex's plan yeah, sorry. Sorry. So yeah, um I was really interested in finding out a bit more about sort of the origin story in a sense of Pattern House Plus, which uh you guys started together uh under the name Construct Island. It's um I think I think it's in a sense for me, it's a bit of a weather vein, or I hope it is, of what's been happening over the last I think it's been 20 years uh, since you guys started it, roughly. Yeah. It has been 20 years actually, I think this year. And I'm just really curious to sort of discuss a bit more about where it's where you started and why you started it and sort of what you've witnessed over the years. So um, maybe what I'll do is I'll just start quickly with a couple of facts about the, the magazine and then I'll get you to talk about the magazine itself and then we'll just sort of have a have a chat. I've got a few questions, basically. You both were there at the beginning. Uh, Dan, you eventually went and did other things. So you've got also a very interesting perspective coming back many, many years later. And I think it would be a very just interesting conversation to have. So a few facts about Construct Island. Uh, it was the first uh, issue was uh, in January 2003. The first cover article was Wind Energy in Ireland. I think you were only covering Ireland anyway at the time. You changed the name, Jeff, to Passive House Plus in 2012. And so far, there have been over 100 issues and notable awards as Construct Islands. You won the Green Communications Award as Passive House Plus. You won the Business Magazine of the Year and Irish Magazine Awards. And Jeff, yourself, you won the Green Leader Award at the Green Awards. Yep. So, Jeff, tell us a bit more about the magazine. Well, so Dan and myself were uh, friends at university in, in Scotland. Uh, we we did uh, the most useless degree uh, going, according to most government ministers, uh, education ministers, whatever, with, with media studies, uh, film media studies. Then after we finished it, I came home um, and started working for a terrible magazine, um, a hotel and restaurant magazine that was uh really there as an ad carrier a gra- graveyard of advertising dan as remember one of the guys described it as yeah um, yeah the the irish hotel and restaurant guide a yeah. spank mag as we described it because it wasn't in terms of a magazine about spanking or any sexual proclivities like that <laughs> it was a, a we didn't support, think that low no, no it was support advertising uh so you you we, we were given a sales pitch 
stick to the pitch, as John often said, uh, which you just rang up a hotel or restaurant that you got from like a book, hotel and restaurant guide, and then you spoke to the manager and said, we want to do a feature on you. We want to send a journalist and a photographer down. Oh, it should be about four pages, DPS. It might run more depending on what we get out of it. The only thing we want from you is a list of your suppliers so we can contact them to see if they want to advertise alongside the article. And so you blackmailed all their suppliers and well, emphasizes too strong a word for it, but yeah, uh, the, the, the people would feel the sense of obligation. So we quickly realized that it wasn't for us. I, I worked on it. Dan Dan worked on it as well. Came over uh, to, to Ireland, worked on it, and I was an exploited immigrant. Exploited immigrant labour. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is uh, I can imagine the Gamini Brexiters kind of uh, uh, <laughs> their brains imploding at the thought of, of an English man uh, moving to another country for that for that reason. But uh, of course, you can't now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> man, I haven't um, even got any heritage. I can claim it's all too long ago. Yeah. So, um, so in the end, um, we decided uh, to set up a magazine. A construction-focused magazine, you know, to, to try and work for ourselves. We hadn't. It was a stupid idea in lots of ways because we didn't have the the resources to do. It. We started with a phone line in a flat in Temple Bar, where we were living, the the Gamara of uh, of, of of Ireland, and uh, I mean, we, like we, we didn't know what we were going to do. No. We realised we could sell advertising because we sold for a magazine that barely published and was produced appallingly, and they were making money. Yeah. So, we, so 20% of the Irish economy, uh, it was the tail end of the Celtic Tiger. So we thought, we'll have a go at that. I had a little bit of background that we could parlay in conversations because I'd worked in demolition. So, you know, as a site operative, not anything fancy. And I'd seen what it was like in the office working for my uncle. And we just had a go. But Yeah, we had a couple of other people involved as well. Um, it just it seemed like a... Uh, interesting area um and the full title was construct ireland uh, with a subheading for a sustainable future and we quickly latched onto i mean we we weren't greenies to begin with you know certainly myself and dan wouldn't have fallen into that kind of area and um i mean i wasn't openly hostile to the you know i wasn't going around punching animals you know but um it's good to hear <laughs> that came later yeah no um no i um no, i felt um that uh i didn't like and i still don't like the idea of sustainability being you know having kind of um uh, it has kind of origins as a sort of a lifestyle or a countercultural uh thing as an aesthetic and it's very easily othered put into a box in, in that way as something not serious and not not something as an ism you know rather than as something normal um yes. um so we liked the idea um once we got up and up and motoring with it really i'm certainly it's i don't know about you dan but it spoke to my inner teenager the idea of of um of being quite subversive and having a magazine that looked like a normal and sounded like a normal construction magazine to an extent. Yes, we had a big wind turbine at the cover of the first issue, but the title, you know, um, of the magazine and some of the early covers, you know, there were, well, I suppose it probably did have a bit of an, 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 a green kind of feel to it, uh, the paper stock we were using and so on. And, but, um, you know... Well, you, no, I mean, we, we went as conventional as we could to try and... All right, so what we learned was... The Irish, so from our first forays into talking to people as a means of generating content against which you could sell advertising, we 
we're good talkers. Even back then, we were practiced in engaging people on the phone. And no one had talked to us. They just wouldn't take us seriously because construction is quite a conservative industry. Now, we approached it. We approached it totally cynically. And we hit on sustainability cynically because they were the only people who talked to us. So it I wasn't... It was a part of it. Yeah, but for, for, for me... Man, like no. what there, there was an underlying motive where this is convenient because this is something that we can actually get behind and we can sell yeah. with sincerity, which was in direct opposition to where we'd started. So in advertising for a, a magazine which really didn't care for its subject matter. And yeah. so it you know, it was serendipity, not pure cynicism. So no. yeah. we originally it was environmental construction, energy efficiency and conservation and built heritage. That was the positioning. Those three things above anything else. And, you know, it was about reducing waste was another underlying. And so we called it Construct Island so we could say we were from Construct Island, which sounded progressive in terms of the Celtic Tiger and conservative so we could talk to the the men in grey suits and the lads on site and they wouldn't be immediately put off by us bleating on about hemp or a timber frame as opposed to steel frame or uh, solar panels or windmills. Mm -hmm. Seaweed. Did either of you have long hair at the time? No. No. no, no. But Dan did have a ponytail once. That's what I was getting at. I was wondering if that was still there. I think I had no hair at that time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you were a skinhead. I'd, I'd, I think I'd abandoned my Nosferatu kind of uh, look that I had when I was um, late late in university, which is that, that, that <laughs> mix of a, a skinhead through cutting your own hair and making a mistake and having to have your head shaved and then yeah. nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so, what we were, what we were doing then wasn't that dissimilar to what we're doing now on the podcast because <clears throat> in terms of trying to find advertisers and trying to find content, we rang people up and we talked to them, and that were it. And we <laughs> through that process, we found out what the story was. Excuse me, I need to. I, I think part of the problem for me uh, was that um, part of my influence on the on the direction that the magazine took is that I have a, I have a tendency when I meet certain kinds of people in particular to um to not want to disappoint them or something or to or um maybe that's the wrong term for it but um there would have been certain kind of uh, early on I would have got talking to some quite prominent green architects um who would have been quite exacting and demanding in in terms of their their sense of uh, uh, quite righteous, you know, and in their in, in their sense of, um, of 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 what construction should be. Uh, Duncan Stewart, for instance, we interviewed in the first issue, um, who's a prominent Irish architect and environmentalist and and um, a TV pr- presenter for many years. He's done a lot of work to kind of to, to mainstream this stuff in Ireland. Um, you know, building up a close uh, relationship with him. There were two others, probably Paul Leach um, and his colleague uh, Sally Starbuck. Um, and uh, and then Tom Woolley, Professor Tom Woolley from uh, at the time of Queens in Belfast. Um, they they kept me honest, should we say? <laughs> that that certainly informed the the, the the direction we wanted to take because I just didn't want to annoy these people, which is really pathetic, you know. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, no, you gave yourself some boundaries, like what we recognised at that point as well. So once we realised these are the only people who were going to talk to us and take us on, because we'd only found one competitor in the market. Which was from was it Cultivate? Oh, they uh, had a magazine. Yeah, they were kind of sustained. Uh, you'd never call them competitors, but they had a a, a, 
a magazine. Uh, they were kind of a, a sustainable living center at the time that was based in um, in Temple was, Bar, very very near us actually. Like yeah, it was just around the corner from the flat the near that play that Bauhaus shop that sold mad expensive bikes. Yeah, um, like we we recognized that that was an opportunity because there is only one direction of travel in terms of climate change. Like they've known it for decades already by that point. Yeah. And this is like, you know, this is 2002, 2003. The first issue was published January 2003, but we st- we set up the company in September 2002, yeah. You know, we're a pair of Muppets. Like yeah. we're 22, 20, 22 years old, 23 years old at that point. Mm. We haven't a clue what we're talking about apart from what we've learned along the way. You know, like my mum's always been into this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, growing up. So I had an inkling, you know, I'd done school projects on environmental causes over the years. Back so when you had your ponytail? Uh, prior to ponytail. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When I had my ponytail, I was burning plastic and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's been yeah. coming out now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we could see there was an opportunity. What we didn't think, what we didn't reckon on is just how long-term resistant the industry would be to any sort of change we didn't reckon that things would get quite as far as they have in terms of locked in temperature rises i think i think you need that naivety i think that's the the only way you could have started is by not knowing about that because otherwise you would have just run a mile i reckon (laughs) yeah oh man definitely jeff's lamented (laughs) this many times over the years I've ruined myself, Dan, uh, wisely, because it was uh, very hand-to-mouth, very difficult uh, for many, many years. All right, so the reason I left was, like, I had family stuff going on back here, and it was really hard. Like, I had personal stuff going on that meant I just didn't want to be in Ireland anymore, you know? Yeah. I, I This isn't to slag off the country, although I'm sure I would have done at the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> man, I just needed to to do something else for a while. So Jeff, Oshin, Dudley, yeah. uh, they picked it up. And Lauren, um, yeah. Yeah, Lulu. So uh, um, we'll come back to that then, because I, I want to know about, you know, you coming back eventually when you and I met and then eventually <clears throat> got back in touch with Jeff, I suppose, more in a more formal capacity. I'm really interested to hear about, you know, your perspective there. But how was the magazine received? I mean, we've heard, obviously, you went in, in a, in a sense, very naive, very fresh to it. You still you mount you well you found your niche clearly yeah you got people to 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 interview and you got stuff published you got a magazine out imprinted how how was it received maybe not after the first uh, uh, magazine but what was the evolution from that very first uh, mag- magazine there was there was a cohort of people who were, who were uh, immediately very keen on it kind of committed kind of green minded uh, architects in particular and builders um, who had been starving for you know for something like this probably so so there was uh, uh, that was helpful i suppose um and you know the celtic tiger uh, in ireland has become known of course for the very poor standard of workmanship that went on during the boom but it wouldn't be fair to characterize all of the construction output as as uh, as as uh, fitting that bill um there was at the same, there were kind of islands of, uh, you know, innovation or of excellence or, 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 or people aspiring towards excellence even back then. And that, that, those kinds of markets would have been more receptive to what we were trying to do. So for instance, um, we, uh, self-builders would be a good example of that. You know, people who are, uh, either, 
directly building or more likely uh, just just managing, you know, de- developing a, a house for themselves um, and and therefore are invested in the quality, you know, uh, of, of the final spec of the building. Um, that's always been a kind of an early one of the one of the first places that I suppose and some of the the, the bigger kind of public sector projects, uh, you know, uh, the vainglorious kind of county offices or whatever for uh, for local authorities, you know, they were the two areas where you would have seen some sustainability happening. And there were supply mm-hmm. chains that were starting to meet them. Um, so we had clients that we picked up early on, some of whom have been extraordinarily loyal. I mean, we've got we've got some companies, there's some clients who basically started then and never stopped. I mean, there's, 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 there's literally, crazy. we literally have some clients in the magazine. I don't know if it's appropriate to name check them or not. Um, well, if they deserve it, give them the props. Ecological building systems, for instance, um, uh, from from uh, from uh, County Meath, who are based in the UK, based in Ireland, but they have a UK office as well. They they've advertised with us like every issue for twenty years. Know, really getting on for 20 years you know now um mm. you know there, there'd be a few others kind of in in that territory sort of uh unipipe kind of they're not they, they, they lapsed at times that they've been pretty 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 solid um and um uh we're a heat, heat pump supplier a long-standing kind of heat pump supplier um and uh and a, a bunch of others uh but certainly when, when we started in the uk for instance in 2012 um We've had, I think, there's four uh, four clients who've been every single issue since we started there. You know, uh, green building store, uh, uh, ecological building systems. Um, actually, missed the first one before they, they came along for the UK edition. Monster Joinery and uh, and and Viesman. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, we've been very fortunate. There there was a supply chain there as well, I suppose. That was um, uh, it's not as big as we would have liked it to be in terms of the number of co- the number of companies. That's changed in recent years. It's transformed, um, but. The tricky thing now is ensuring that you're dealing with companies who who um who really know what the, know know their onions in this space. Um, but no, it's grown it's grown gradually over time. Um, and um, as to how we were received, we would have annoyed a lot of people early on. I went in before a joint Oireachtas committee, a parliamentary committee on uh, on the environment in Ireland uh, in t- in 2005 over the government's heel dragging on the introduction of energy ratings for for homes um, at the time. And uh, we would have annoyed, for instance, the concrete industry at the time, the Irish Concrete Federation, where they came in, and that's in fact they were forced to sit outside the meeting because one of the one of the the, the politicians, one of the uh, representatives in the committee, recognised that it wasn't wasn't a done thing for a government department and a and a lobby group to be hand holding in that way. But uh, we would have annoyed people like that and become known as agitators to some extent without really. But that that wasn't a problem. I mean, that was. That was part of the point because, yeah. like, the reason why we selected that was because those people were the only ones that talked to us. The reason why they don't, the reason why they would talk to us is because no one else was talking to them, and so that was our opportunity. We could give people a platform, and like we weren't, I mean, we weren't pious in them days. I remember running a concrete drains advert that we were very dubious oh, about but no, man, we were, that, was, that was a sustainable drainage system product yeah was, uh, it, it, no there was there was a there was a, a pure wickedness one i remember that yeah, yeah, yeah it was a shout out pat uh pat kennedy he <laughs> he booked it in last minute sheepishly can i get this can i put this in okay yeah right. yeah, yeah we've got eight but we were doing this with sincerity and i mean annoying people wasn't a problem because no. that was the best we could hope for like Jeff has continued to annoy people. He's annoyed people with consistency uh, and clarity of thought, which has 
ensured that there have been significant changes to Irish building regulations. He's done that. And that's what's interesting. So I stepped away and I kept tabs on it. Like I wasn't really at all involved for a long time. But what is interesting is flicking through the pages of Passive House Plus now is that it's the same magazine. It's just narrowed its focus. Like legit, it's the same structure from issue two. First issue was a 32-page statement of intent where we picked our subjects and saw what we could write about them and what advertising we could book in. Oh, health and safety. That was the other thing. Oh, yeah. Because uh, again, no one wanted to talk about it because boom time, who cares? So you can see like front, it's like standard magazine format, front section news, a few columns about innovation or opinion pieces, and then case studies or things like case studies where you get as deep into the subject as you, you can, and then you get out. I don't know if we had classifieds at the back or not. I can't remember. We did and, in the first issue. We had just on on safe pass specifically. That was it. That was yeah. Man, we it's been interesting seeing the subject matter remain consistent, the format remain consistent, and the tone remain broadly consistent, even down to Jeff's puns in the head <laughs> headlines. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah. like head scratching. Like we were first couple of issues we published. Like we were getting by on four hours sleep a night across. Oh god, it was terrible. Uh, were, you, were you both writing like them four then? days? You what? Was it, was it you two writing the articles then? We did everything. Everything. We did a little less selling. Well, I did a little less selling than Jeff. I managed all the production. He was our nominal editing chief. <laughs> um, sorry, that's a private joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, we had fake people on the flannel panel to make ourselves appear larger. We did all the stupid stuff you do as a kid uh, to try and hide how small you are. But people took it seriously. And what I remember is that folk within the industry were delighted to see something like this. Like we produced something that looked hardcore professional with the strongest credentials we could possibly muster. So all recycled paper, we went for the least petrochemically involved production process that we could find so recycled paper soy-based inks and we swithered over all of that for a long time trying to work out what the most ecologically sound method was because if you're using recycled paper you've got bleach the paper again so you're adding a lot of waste chemical products into the the process where you could just get a sustainably sourced pulp to begin with and create get an uncoated paper pay a bit more money for it even back then soy-based inks rather than petrochemical based inks but soy-based inks are contributing to deforestation, potentially, all that sort of guff. So eventually, you realise you can't win. <laughs> so you just you just exactly. pick your pick your battles and focus on the content and giving people a platform. So what and, did they think about it when they saw these articles? I mean, how were they re- reacting? I mean, you said that some some people obviously you were you were annoying them, which is great. You have to have some of those, but they're the ones that you were sort of supporting and and elevating. How did they react to it? Well, if you look at TV architect Duncan Stewart. Hunky Dunky, as he was colloquially known, only by us, not the the broader nation. Like <laughs> he was, he's serious TV. Like you know, he's not hardcore box office, but he was like Ireland's George Martin at that point. His show, yeah, about the house was his main kind of construction. Two shows, and they would be in a country of, uh, you know, at the time Ireland was less than four million people. He was getting over five hundred thousand viewers, you know, on that show. He was great. And he was really supportive. Like Jeff became friends with him. The Green Party 
showed an interest. SEI, uh, Sustainable Energy Island, now SEAI. Yeah. Uh, they showed a keen interest in what we were doing to the point where I'm adamant they ripped us off. Uh, <laughs> and like all sorts of people. So the, the people we found ourselves then in conflict with or potential for conflict with, with the AECB, because they had Building for a Future magazine. Which was that was our nearest competitor, and that was that was the UK rather than Ireland, of course. Um, and I did speak to Keith Hall. Uh, Keith was the uh, editor of Building for Future magazine, which is a more um, overtly green magazine. Um, and Keith had been a founder of the AECB, uh, the Association for Environmental Conscious Building, obviously uh, in 1989 or 88, something like that. Um, it was it was a different kind of magazine. It was more, you know. Um, they were specifically, it felt to me, catering for the committed eco-builder. So, you know, stuff on on what would even now be regarded as still, still more radical aspects of, of green building, up to and including rammed earth construction and so on. Perfectly commendable and, and important kind of construction methods when applied right, and if you can find ways of scaling them. We were kind of more uh, focused on win the argument, uh, you know, really focus on winning the argument uh, with uh, um, among ordinary people in the construction industry. Because um, they would have money to advertise. Yeah, well, that was that was clearly part of it. But also, you know, it's not just that. You you, you don't, you, you want to... It was just that. No, well, for, for me, I... I have, early on, at least, from, from the magazine, I uh, I have a tendency to go off on tangents anyway, but I got... I got uh, very interested in some of the lobbying stuff and the ability to change things. So when we've had chances to to uh, to make meaningful change, I have certainly put commercial interests to the side. That's changing now to an extent. You've got to try and find a way of balancing them, for God's sake, you know. And the, the, the work with the Green Party, for instance, um, in parts of Dublin, some of the Dublin local authorities, uh, to bypass building regulations through through uh, through through development plans um, and introduce stringent energy performance standards you know and, and engage with the biggest baddest developers as well who own land in the areas that was going to be affected by these these changes that was really important um and that that ultimately led to building regulations changing um i can't say i probably thought naively in the back of my mind that if we do this it's going to um immediately reward us from a business perspective uh, but loads of the businesses who who set you know who who set up and the kind of ecosystem that developed of businesses to support these these new standards uh, ultimately 60 percent energy reductions that, that we got through under under the building regulations uh for, for all new homes and mandatory renewable energy and mandatory air tightness testing and so on um loads of the businesses who, who who set up to to meet those requirements had no idea <laughs> That uh, that we'd be responsible for 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 driving it, you know. So be it, you know. The, uh, virtue is its own reward, as they say, you know. Well, Absolutely. what what Jeff's not acknowledging is that the reason why the magazine has advertised who've been with it for twenty years is because a hardcore of people have known that this vehicle is doing that work. Yeah, and they true. were committed to that vehicle, and so through the recession, there has been a hardcore of dedicated supporters who have been there to keep the magazine going through thick and thin. Yeah. And there is a, this isn't like a magnanimous endeavor on their part to keep it alive, to, to keep the faith. It's a vehicle that's done a bit of market making for them. And it's a vehicle for committed people in the industry. Like one of the things that we learned very early on is that people got the magazine and they kept the magazine. Mm. And they would read it over a period of months. 
so it would be by their bed and they wouldn't throw it away. Well, I, I was going to say that the way that you described it to me before is that the magazine had a very strong relationship with toilets, if you yeah. like to explain that one. <laughs> well, no, like people, yeah, I remember, I can't remember who it was. Like, I think it were a QS who was on our <laughs> subscription list who uh, he said, oh, yeah, sure, uh, I keep it in the toilet and I'm always reading it. And I, I, uh, I never throw go. it out. You know, he was using uh, a, a crass way of describing the fact that it is a regular go-to magazine for him he's always got it to to hand it's a laxative but i mean for real uh people people don't throw it out people keep hold of it well it's like robbie said uh robbie mcgrath from d-res when he was on he uses it to get ideas about products so he flicks through the magazine to see what might be out there that he might want to incorporate into sustainable design across their product range and i dare say he's not the only one I have to say that having started to obviously, Jeff, you've been sending it to us, so thank you very much for that. But it's, I really enjoyed the fact that I don't always like reading the the highly technical stuff, like the the calculations, but they are there. If I want to, they are there. But also, I can, as you said, then I can just flick through stories and ideas, and that's what I find very, really sort of engaging. I can see that it's it's working for multiple audiences at multiple levels. Um, that's the balancing act that you try yeah. to, to to achieve. And that, that's one of the kind of evolutions that that's happened over suppose over time. And and I'm kind of you try and kind of have the presence of mind to not just go through the motions all the time because we do have a lot of quite repetitive content in terms of case studies. And and that's justified in some ways because if you're dealing with um innovative uh what would be by some people in the construction industry to be innovative uh, construction methods, for instance, and and standards and, and ways of, of of specifying and and ways of managing how you, you know, the process of building a a building. You want people to familiarise themselves with it. You want to make it normal. So if they, yeah. if they see re- repeatedly see um, how people are approaching air tightness, for instance, and thermal bridging and all this kind of stuff, um, and and the kind of build methods that they're using, then I think there's something comforting in that. Uh, and, and just normalizing this stuff um, but at the same time there's a difficult balance there to try and uh, not bore people who are newbies to this um, um, yeah, or scare them um, but but uh, but include the information it, it's and I'm I'm convinced um, you can find ways of, of being accessible to to as many people as possible without dumbing down um, mm. And um, it's difficult, but that's where you earn your corn, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, we're going to look at this in the new year. Okay. Um, can, I, can I expand this a bit sort of wider? Because I like to know what changes uh, the magazine has witnessed in the industry over the years. Because you've, because I've got another question, a question from my family about, like, it feels that things have only been moving really, and this is obviously from a really lay person's perspective, things have only been moving in the last couple of years. We're all talking about it, but it's not the case obviously but that's the perception so what has the magazine seen has it been really slow uh and nothing much has changed over the last 20 years or actually in the background lots of things have been changing i'd say what has happened um the kind of projects that we featured 20 15 even 10 years ago were were rare enough and they were you know uh and they were exceptional projects to the um for the most part because you know you get more demanding over time in terms of what you want to what you're willing to, to feature now, when I look in, in Ireland and to a lesser extent in the UK, but it's in fairness, it's, it's, it's improving a lot in the UK as well. 
<clears throat> the the general standard of construction is much higher now from a sustainable certainly from an energy performance perspective. The, the the other sustainability stuff, not so much yet. And houses are still being built far too big and too too remotely and all that kind of stuff. Um but one thing that I think was a very significant change that I've noticed, even just in the context of pulling articles together, it was once you strayed outside of this this space of self-builders uh, uh, in particular, it, we, we were always interested in getting not just the, the, the not just photographing the, 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 the pig after the lipstick had been applied to it, but, but actually, you know, how it was made. And we differed from most architectural, uh, virtually all architectural or construction magazines in that regard. So we wanted construction photos. It was very hard, um, particularly with developers, because um, uh, there were some early kind of, you know, developers doing stuff through grant funding. There was grant schemes supporting developers to do low energy building through through the likes of SEI, for instance, um, back in the day. But it's very hard getting them to be willing to share information, con- construction photos and uh when you did get to see construction shots in the past my god you know um the 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 quality of what you'd be seeing a lot of the time was was very poor so you'd have people investing in stuff like say a heat recovery ventilation system even but you just get uh, like if you if you were lucky enough to get a photograph it'd be like maybe a pile of flexible spaghetti uh, tied in knots in an attic, you know, uh, sitting on top of the insulation there, sort of uninsulated ductwork, you know, in a mess, you know, that has changed over time. It's not perfect uh, now, um, but uh, and th- there's still dodgy practice going on. Of course, there is, um, but generally, you know, uh, this the, the standard is, has has uh, massively shifted. So, so that means we start to have to focus more on on, on other stuff to keep ahead of the game, you know, such, such as um, broader sustainability. You know, we, like like um, you know, if it's a three hundred square meter uh, passive house, uh, even if it's built out of you know hemp or or, or straw bale construction, um, and it's in the middle of nowhere, is that something we should be f- publishing in the magazine? Probably not. You know, why not? Well, because you know, if it's a, if it's unless you've got a family of ten. And they're all working on, on the farmland around. You've got um, a far bigger building than is needed for, for you know, like a, a, a you've got more energy demand, more, more, more. Uh, there'll still be a, a, an excess from a resource perspective required to build a, a you know cavernous building. So in terms of and then transport, you know, yeah, sorry. yeah, you, you're embedding inefficiency into the the project as as positive as it might be to use natural building materials and ecologically sound methods you're still building overconsumption into the process because you're not thinking systematically you're thinking in a a one-off isolated manner this is indicative of something that the most interesting change that i've clocked in the industry there are three things first is biomass isn't really taken seriously in the same way it used to be anymore uh second is hydrogen was only ever talked about in terms of transport and capturing energy not in terms of heating homes, which I think we're going to get into that into the new year because like, I just don't see that right enough. I don't know enough, but like, it sounds like absolute horseshit to me. And the third thing is we've reached a point now in the industry where enough has shifted. So Jeff highlighted we were dealing with single dwellings or small numbers of units way back when. Now the industry has evolved so big players, tier one contractors are upskilling to the point where they can deliver large numbers of units. Big commissioners like social housing organizations are commissioning passive house projects. I mean, look at what's just happened in Scotland. What's changed is the industry has matured to a point where this is a going concern, not an outlier event. 
this is where the money is going to be made. This is where reputations are going to be built and diminished. This is where the scammers are going to be able to start scamming harder because these are the the asks that are on the tongues of the commissioners and they don't know enough. And so what needs to happen now, and so this is something that we've talked about with regard to the magazine, with this podcast and with the other people that we work with, all the people that we've grown up with, like we grew up from a position of weakness. So our strength was just giving a voice to these people, creating a platform for people to start talking. The way we described it way back when was to create something around which uh, an industry could be galvanized. Like give it a structure, give it a point of coalescence, which is what Jeff did with his efforts in lobbying and all of that. Mm-hmm. Now, all that's happened. So as relevant as it was, is no longer relevant. Mm. New phase. You've got to ditch your carapace and grow a new skin because your form has to change. Pokemon. That's it. You can't be Pikachu anymore. You've got to grow into whatever Pikachu grows into. Cute as you like, but he's no use now. Like, <laughs> and this is something that the industry is struggling with and it's going to get ruined. Like, some players are going to get ruined if they don't grow up because the opportunity is there. Who was it? Uh, or someone posted, I think Raymond McGurk posted the first prosecution of uh, heat pump engineers in Cornwall, heat pump scammers in Cornwall, posted the story on LinkedIn. I'll see if I can dig that out. It's, it's going to grow. It's going to get worse. And unless the industry evolves and adapts, adapts to meet this new range of consumers, like, people are going to get left behind. So for you, Dan, I mean, you've sort of touched upon it already, but you you went to your, your own way, you went back to the UK, you went back into publishing for some time, and then you went and worked uh, in the comm side of the financial services industry. So having had that sort of big gap, and I know you kept an eye on things, but to you, what have you noticed in the, the sort of the, the seismic changes from the days when you were there, you started the whole thing, naive, 20-year-old something, to now uh, with significantly more gray hair, big beard and uh, obviously some very different perspectives from the stuff you've been doing. What's changed? Oh man, it's just got bigger to be perfectly honest and more desperate. Really? <laughs> like, well, the situation is more desperate now. Like we've got 1.5 degrees locked in. They've stopped even talking about it as a goal, a target, a feasible target. We can't be aspirational in the same way we used to be. We've got to be a lot more realistic. And because things, because change is being signaled, like seriously, like it has to change. You can't even, you can't pretend like things aren't going to change. Now we are in a period of obfuscation where mm-hmm. delaying tactics rather denial are used. And this is where you see things like uh, the hydrogen lobby building their case for hydrogen to be used in home heating, where all the people I trust, right enough, I'm not an expert, so I don't know enough, but all the people I trust they say it's not good for home domestic mm. use. It's not the right thing. You could use it if you do all the things right. Like it could be possible, but it's not efficient enough. It's not safe enough. It's and not you need practical to upgrade enough. the entire distribution grid as well. I gather the the, the pipe. Yeah. Is, you know, so so it's like the, there are all sorts of reasons why it doesn't make sense. So this is where I mean, like, unless the whole industry grows up to realise that it's fighting against the gas lobby now and various petrochemical industries and trad industries like people are lining up against them 
and they know the jig is up. So it's just delaying. What more can we get out of this? Like you see that through the fossil fuel industries now, where there's the last gasp at the North Sea in the UK. They just get what we can. Like the last gasp, grasp at uh, shale industry, still going mm-hmm. on fracking. Like you know, a, a technology that's proven not to work. I think, I think it's harder as well now, um, given. One of the benefits of things like social media is that there's, it's, you know, that as unruly as 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 harmful as it can be, and easy for for mis for misinformation, disinformation to spread. Uh, uh, it does mean that it's there's more of a lens applied more quickly by more people. That, you know, you, I get a lot more stuff through my my feeds, for instance, um, on um, on the problems with some of these technologies. Um, there's, there's a more there's a there's a larger cohort of people who are more uh, literate, uh, 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 technically literate, and, uh, and able to kind of uh, to pick apart these kinds of things than would have been the case in the past. And I think that's kind of broader point for me. Like when we changed the magazine from Construct Ireland to Passive Plus in 2012, uh, there was a part of that was um, part of this shift, more general shift towards quantifiable sustainability you know um we were in a situation before where you know it's even like we were talking before about building out of natural materials or not you know uh, uh, there is a sense uh that, that abides in some quarters that that natural things are inherently benign or even benevolent um mm-hmm. and it's nonsense you know asbestos is naturally occurring for instance you know um um uh so you need to passive house was very appealing as as a, a standard to focus on because uh, uh, it was based on you know an evidence based approach a very very careful um, uh, you know uh, based based on a very careful and thorough uh, uh, review of the evidence of, of what had worked and what hadn't in low energy buildings so taking account of actual performance and then trying to understand why that was the case from a building physics perspective and designing a standard in that way. Um, so that approach, very evidence-based, very, very numbers-based, applying that to sustainable building more generally, is a re- that's a really interesting area. So the focus we've had in, in the last couple of years in the magazine, for instance, is helping us to start to make sense of these issues and not just, you know, assume that something uh, that feels cuddly and positive necessarily is, you know. Um, so uh, that I think is really important. And then the thing I think that we need to really start to focus on, l- linking into what Dan said about, about where we're at with climate change, I think there's now uh, a growing awareness that we cannot think about uh, climate change mitigation or adaptation anymore uh, alone. You know, because one of the arguments that would have been used from some of the fossil fuel shills and so on is that it's too late to do anything about it. We have to, we have to, you know, uh, just just try and adapt instead. We can't do that. I mean, obviously that's a, that's a, a, a nonsensical argument in lots of ways. Um, but we have to do both. You know, there's a certain amount of 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 climate change that's clearly already locked in above and beyond what we're already seeing now, given the kind of the 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 the, the the delay, delayed kind of feedback on these things. So we we're in this challenge now that we need to avoid putting emissions into the atmosphere. We need to avoid uh, depleting resources and and destroying biodiversity and so on. Um, but we also need to ensure that the stuff we do to buildings, for instance, into the built environment, um, is built to withstand the storms that are coming. It's a huge challenge, but it'll, it's one that will require great creativity and, and ingenuity, and there will be opportunity, I suppose, you know. Absolutely. And you can see some green shoots of it. 
like it's things are things are happening ears are becoming open to it like but man it's slow it's still slow and this again it links back to the the long-term usability of buildings planning for the future not just for now which is a critique that we've leveled at an awful lot of construction over the course of this podcast and in private conversations and again yeah. linking back to adrian lehman and bill bordas what they said you know people just don't think about the usability of a building properly and like man people should be digging back into their work usablebuildings.co.uk like it's they they have been so far ahead of the game uh it's in all sorts of different ways like man they should be talked about in much more revered tones than they are i mean they are talked about with a degree of reverence don't get me wrong but man they should they should receive so many more props for what they've done they're chatting about uh they predicted the work from home i've i've been using their i've been quoting what they said to us and referring to the the report they mentioned plenty in conversations with people who have a vested interest in private uh office rentals like in in, in terms of their pensions and portfolios it's just really interesting like no nah, this isn't a new thing this has been it has taken 30 years for us to get to this point like these guys were predicting it in the 90s in the 90s there was no reason for people to be congregating in offices to work all the time it would didn't make sense then already because Mm. people could work on computers you meet up twice a week if you need to do that and even now with the internet my missus works for a big technology company and their productivity went up in lockdown massively yet they are still being urged back into the office so any claims that are being made, very publicly disproven. But mm, don't matter. It's just behavioural. Anyway, that, that's a stupid digression. Um, <laughs> so I think really my my last question to you guys is what's next? Well, actually for you, Jeff, really, but what's next for Passive House Plus? Uh, um, I think we're going to go deeper into this mission of kind of of quantifying other aspects of sustainability. Uh, I think I think building pathology will probably become part of that too. You know, so I would I would have certain colleagues and friends in the industry who are doing increasingly sort of expert witness work on buildings that are failing, you know, attempts at low energy building, for instance, that are failing. Um, and because now we're coming at this from a position where people who've gone through passive house designer courses or whatever it might be over the last decade or so, if you have any kind of interest in this stuff um, in understanding how buildings work, why they work and why they don't work, that kind of an education in in the likes of passive house is a great way and in in, in uh, bringing you towards understanding buildings more generally i think this is going to be critical uh, in in terms of uh thinking about how to design buildings for uh, both climate change mitigation and adaptation i think that skill set is going to be absolutely critical so it's, it's a question of you know uh, both understanding as i say why a building has failed now um and then uh, taking account of projected uh, future climate scenarios, for instance. I and mean, we have in Ireland, you know, and in parts of the UK, I know, you get this too, but horizontal rain, famously. That's going to become more horizontal, <laughs> um, more frequent. I mean, obviously, there's uncertainty about climate, considering during the Gulf Stream, there's a kind of a, an extra challenge for designers and to think about how to design buildings in that way. So from a technical perspective, I think we'll have lots of uh, lots to focus on to try and ensure that the decisions we take now and that the industry takes now on new build and on retrofit, um, we have to get it right. 
you know there's a an absolute sense of 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 uh, moral kind of duty and uh, and uh, uh, an obligation to kind of to make the right decisions now um, because I just I cannot countenance the idea of uh, of coming back in five or ten years time and um, b- buildings that we're um, you know that we, that we think are 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 the answer and end up being torn down or redone so. Um, mm-hmm. This is See, the last kind of chance. We've got to get it right, you know. Yeah, this is this is key for the magazine. This is the next ten years of the magazine, and this is partly how you breathe a different kind of life into it is by tackling the retrofit issues. So, Passive House Plus is a so the magazine reformed itself around Passive House Plus because that was so. This is the cynical side of things because yeah. that was where the interest was shown by the market. So Je- Jeff took uh, he recognised the signals that were being given to him. And he gave people what they wanted. Now, 10 years later, that market's opened up into a completely different market. Energy prices, uh, climate change, people finally recognizing that the the buildings they live in are turd built. Like <laughs> it's it is a journey that lots of different people are gonna be going on. You know, like it's I'm thinking about it from my parents' perspective, not just my own. So now I've got two facets. My parents live in a uh, three bed thatched house. My mum can't put up with the cold because she's ill, uh, and she grew up really poor, so she's not willing to put up with the cold either. And my dad's not willing to put her through it. So what do I need to help them do to this house to help them make it more energy efficient so my mum can live her last years in a degree of comfort? And at the same time, at the opposite end of the country, I've moved into this house, which is leaky as you like so in those bitter cold days the other week like it was appalling i've recognized the windows need done i'm i need to get myself a retrofit coordinator i've got like an 80s or 90s built conservatory which is leaking and presumably it's gonna have to come down how much work can i get done to the house without having to tackle that do i have to tackle that like i'm 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 personally looking at phased retrofit and i ain't gonna be the only one doing it like, you know, I'm one of the lucky few who managed to get a last minute mortgage before everything went tits up again. But in the UK specifically, in Ireland, you're in a bit more of a privileged position. We're getting beset by all sorts of price rises, all sorts of inflation that isn't justified, which are challenges that people are going to need to mitigate all over the country. And those are the sorts of things, because it's thematic, that a magazine like Passive House Plus is going to have to evolve to incorporate. It can't just be the one-offs which showcase this is the direction of travel we need to go in. Yeah, That shit's already happening. We're already on that journey now. We're on that path. Yeah. So how do we diversify that content? Like, I'm presuming I'm getting involved now. Uh, so sorry, Jeff. Like, feel free to push back. But like, that's, the, that's what needs to be addressed. So that's in terms of accessibility as well that you were talking about. So this is part of what Alex and I do, Jeff, generally with any of the websites that we come across. I want to cater to everyone. Well, you can't. So you have to work out who your users are in degrees of sophistication. So from your newest noob to your most sophisticated user. And you've got to work out the different degrees of those user types and work out how to accommodate them. And if you even want to accommodate them. Mm. Because do you want to focus your efforts elsewhere? So I think that's something that we're we're looking at with this podcast. So in terms of this, in the new year, Jeff's going to be 
producing a much more technically minded version of the podcast. So Passive House Plus sub-branded version where you can bother on about you values and the bits that just drive me mad when he starts quoting numbers. Like it just doesn't work for my head. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. We don't have to hear you talking about uh, all your bits. We can just focus on the uh, on the technical. Well, this is it. Nice. Like there's, there's a place for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so we, this is what, the magazine needs to address that sort of build a broader church and retrofit is the means of accomplishing that because that is what that address those practical issues anyway yeah um uh, no retrofit's an interesting one um and uh it, it is critical you're absolutely right um and it's critical to, to to try and focus on 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 approaches that actually work and that work um not just technically but within you know you're dealing with people's homes uh, that that, uh, that people living in their homes and looking to get works done that's a very different kettle of fish uh, to new builds and it brings a, a, a range of different kinds of challenges do you decant people from the houses uh, how do you expect your your site operatives to behave to conduct themselves if they are working around people and their families you know um, so there's a lot to it but yeah you're right we need to we need to kind of try and focus practical useful guidance for people who who are not just at the at the at the avant-garde of this and who are really wanting to do everything absolutely perfectly but people who are in kind of dan's position and, and have uncomfortable buildings um uh who maybe want to do something from a climate perspective who uh wants need to do something uh to to keep their energy bills manageable without without freezing that's it's an interesting challenge yeah. we will do. well thank you very much uh, to both of you that was really interesting i'm i'm quite pleased to have heard the uh the more developed version of this obviously i've been privy to to bits of this over the over the years but it's been nice to well over the years over the last couple of years but it's been nice to to hear the different perspectives and and how things have changed yeah it's been interesting thinking about it like because yeah. i've not really i've not really thought back to that but it's mad where we where we used to have the offices, that's all like banking territory now. That office is still standing though in its original yeah. form, uh, surrounded by like you know um, <clears throat> Daniel Liebskind designed uh, buildings, and uh, there's a Calatrava bridge nearby, and, and and so on. Like it's it's bizarre, and and you've got this one little kind of horrible little I don't know probably 1980s red brick maybe earlier than that um, probably earlier yeah a, a red brick building that uh, that uh, like, like a little two-story office block that may be a converted house or might be offices like it's a funny shape but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah like I found myself so although we've probably said this like I met Alex working at a investment industry focused marketing agency and uh yeah we had clients like in the the, the surrounding streets <laughs> And like just like clocking their office address, like, oh man, that's a road that didn't even exist when I lived there. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. This is like it's a different world. Yeah. Like back then, Ireland's tallest building, was it 10 stories? Yeah. Uh, we're we're still not going terribly high rise, you know, or there's there's a, there's there's not really great arguments sustainability wise for going very high rise, you know. Hope hopefully we won't go go no. From a body carbon perspective and so on, it's it just doesn't just doesn't stack up, doesn't make sense, you know. All right. Well, should we call the time on that? Um, yeah. yeah. I didn't talk about uh, thinking about it. I didn't really talk too much about um going in going from Ireland into the UK. Perhaps we have a follow-up. It, what is there that's worth talking about in terms of the UK and Irish market? 
differences between them maybe yeah I suppose, you know um no no but what that's an interesting one i think uh, i think because of our changes in regulations um we're from an energy performance perspective at least we're in a position where this stuff is much more mainstream you know we don't have the the average air tightness on a new home in ireland is about two or so now two just over two if that means anything to you uh two cubic meters per hour whatever um positive is 0.6 um the average during the celtic tiger years in ireland was about 11 and a half right so there's been a huge seismic shift in Ireland in that regard. In England, I think your average is probably below five, I think. You know, that's just a useful indicator, I suppose, of, of the changes generally. So in England, you know, there's there's lots of great stuff happening, lots of great pacifist projects and so on happening. But there's also the the, the, the big six, I guess, the big house builders are doing, churning out their crap. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, getting all them foundations down before the regs change, get them all Get them all knocked out so building sites suddenly cranked into life and then they will cease to I, I wonder I don't know how your regs work in that way. In Ireland, uh you have uh it, you are allowed a certain amount of that uh, tra- transitional period. Um but, oh yeah, yeah. They they've just but taken... you have to be up to wall plate level by a certain stage. So you have to have the, the structure of the external walls fully up um by uh such and such a date. And if if not, uh, like by a year after the regulations are are written, you know, typically. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is this grace period that is being taken advantage of. I think we covered it in the the episode about Alex's passive shed. I think I included a story in the show notes about that. Let me have a look. But you know, that's one of the main things. Probably, I suppose. I mean, they're very similar uh, supply chains. Similar kind of. There are subtle differences, you know, um, in in terms of construction traditions it's something to reflect on more yeah well um, i think i think i'd like to you know obviously those questions i was giving you jeff about my uh my in-laws flats and the, the fact that the architect is adamantly refusing to do oh, yeah. any form of study uh the, the the real basis actually is because it's in the middle of the old town and therefore they've got a, a, a sister building next to it and if they don't agree to do anything that one can't do anything either right there's, there's no efforts it's not even that and as i said the uh the roof has just been, as you said, it was actually okay to do it with just a bit of uh, uh, insulation on the on on the floor of the roof, if you like. But yeah. it's not because he said that's a good idea strategically, like you considered. It was just look, just put it back as it was, just a nice new roof with new roof trusses, and there you go. Um, but just just for context, this is uh, Alex's mum's inherited flat no 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 but, this is uh, my, where my cousin uh, my, not my cousins my um my in-laws uh my sister-in-law lives and uh or my brother-in-law lives all oh, right oh, in, the middle, in the middle of marseille and they need to do a, a refurb so the my sister-in-law is really really keen on doing something right they've spent three years with an architect who's given them absolutely nothing the first time she heard about proper insulation apart from slapping insulation on the side of the building where there were only some small service windows to the uh the cauldron, if you like, or some sort of space. That's the first time she heard about doing the the proper roof insulation, where you actually insulate the actual roof pitch rather than just rolling out some uh, some insulation onto warm, the floor. warm roof construction as opposed warm to roof construction. Exactly. Um, but also, there was I was reading. There's a really good arti- um, article in uh, the equivalent of Witch magazine that we'd have in in the UK, where apparently in France. They have done this test where they they asked uh, experts to come in and do the uh, EPC rating or the equivalent, and 
every single house that they asked to do this, every single expert gave them something different. And it was to the point where it was farcical. One of them didn't even realize that there was uh, uh, water solar panels on the roof. Okay, fair enough. He didn't notice that. <laughs> One said he, they needed to insulate the walls uh, from the inside when the external walls were, well, the, the external side of the walls were already insulated. And he wanted to remove the biomass uh, boiler and put in an air source heat pump and also insulate the, um, the floor but keep an energy rating of C as with all of this stuff. So it was already external wall, external wall insulated. They want to do all this work and actually not improve the uh, energy performance rating of it. And that's just two examples that they've got in this, in this magazine. Maybe we should, I'll do a translation. We could write something up or talk about it in the next episode. So I think it's really important to compare the rest of uh, obviously Europe as a starting point, but also abroad to see how things are clearly not working as well. I think that's a really big part of it. You know, you said, Jeff, that, a lot of the things you talk about, the great examples of things that do work, but we're going to have to start talking about how people are taking advantage of this. And this, the interesting part of this article, I thought, is that the actual main point is go and do some EPC shopping because otherwise it will impact the value of your home. We're not even talking about the comforts here or the, the ability of getting uh, some, some form of a government help. It's about your value. The value of your home will go down. So you better go and find one who's going to make sure that it is higher up, even if it's not true. Or- who's saying this? French witch uh, ad- advising people to be mindful of the EPC rating of their home. Me? Have I seen that? No, no. Is French witch magazine advising that? Who's advising that? The it's, thing that it's you're the saying? magazine itself. Yeah. yeah. That's mad. Because, like, I haven't been looking for it, but I've not really heard many people talking about this over here yet. Well, yeah. it might not be the case. I mean, it might just be something in France. I doubt it, obviously. Um, but it's- I think I think there's got to be as much as the EPC or the BER as it is in Ireland is, you know, uh, uh, got to be affecting property value, um, and we're kind of stuck with those systems. I think there's got to be some serious consideration about whether it's the right target to focus on yes but especially when you see that the the inconsistencies that was the point of the article as well another example is is that one was saying that you need to just change the the heating system to a heat pump and that made the uh, the energy performance rating go from an f to a c so that went up three classes Uh, but the recommendation to do external wall insulation uh and the roof as well uh only made it go up from c to to b yeah what is the logic in that? And these are different people giving different pieces of advice. There probably is a logic to it. Um, but, it, but again, it depends on what your energy performance calculation tool is looking for um, and what people think it's looking for or, or think you think it's telling you. They're very, very often very different. You know, um, if France, uh, their um, electricity is, uh, is uh, very heavily nuclear, mm-hmm. uh, so the carbon intensity of the electricity would be very low, and the primary energy of it, uh, I don't know how see it as well. The energy ratings, uh, the EPCs and so on, are based on uh, on primary energy, the energy at source at the power station rather than in in in, in the home. Um, and if you have, uh, uh, you know, and the carbon emissions associated with that too. Um, so. Uh, um, where a heat pump might be helping in this regard too uh, is is um, 
when you switch because you're switching from oil or gas whatever to to electricity and if you've got a low carbon source of electricity it, you can start to do very well basically in terms of your your primary energy score and your on your carbon score um doesn't necessarily mean you have a comfortable building you know um so um doesn't mean you don't of course but uh you know th- th- there's a little bit more thought required basically i think this is it i think epcs in the uk they've reached a point of relevance just because of soaring because it's a consumption focused metric soaring price rises for energy have meant that they suddenly become more acutely well because uh, there's nothing else that that's uh, available that's is that you know as uh, you know it's not and it's not based of course on actual consumption it's, it's primary energy based on the regulated energy loads so ignoring all the plug loads and stuff like that you know um yeah. well, I'm, uh, I'm i'm adamant that we can turn that comfort idea into a a metric or not a metric, but that's the selling point. Comfort is the indicator of quality in terms of energy efficiency. I, I, I do think there needs to be, you know, a, a way of simplifying this for people and saying, look, um, uh, you know, not just this is how much your building's costing to to run or to heat. Um, question first question is how cold do you want to be? You know, how, uh, how comfortable or how cold are you willing to be in, in in the house? And then you tell them how much it's going to cost them to run. Yeah. To, to, taking into account that variable you know um are you willing to live in just one room in your house through for the winter to be like, <laughs> the, like the tortoise hibernating in a fucking cardboard box you know um yeah or um or do you actually want a house uh for 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 more than half of the year you know yeah man yeah. anyway but let's call call time um i need to go and check oh bloody hell it's been cooking for ages right um I need to go and check my sauce. Excellent. Well, that was good. Yeah, I thought it was good, uh, good fun episode anyway. Right, big up. I'll catch up with you on the chat in a bit, but I do need to bounce now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Love exactly. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.